Welcome to the Longview Podcast, a show for Catholic school teachers, Catholic school teachers, and anyone who works to form young people in the faith. I'm Joe. And I'm Elizabeth, and we're here to bring you conversation, contemplation, and some food for thought. So grab your red pen, your favorite beverage, and enjoy. Joe, happy new year. How's it going? Happy new year. What's happening in your life? What's new in your new year? Well, we've just had a great vacation in Mobile, Alabama. Woohoo, Alabama. Your birthday's coming up too. Oh yeah, getting old. I'm going to be old. I'm going to be how old? 32? 32. 32. Oh my goodness. Uh, Have you thought any about your New Year's resolution? Um, Just keep my family alive and happy. I, I vote for that. Since I'm part of your family, I think those are <laughs> that's a good, a good idea. I'm working on my work-life balance, and re- finding time to relax and just be, and not always do. That's really hard. Yeah. You'd think we'd have it figured out by now. Yeah, thirty, thirty-one, almost thirty-two years of practicing and still working on it. Um, but yeah, vacation vacation always reminds me of, oh yeah, I need to just sit down with a book just to read for fun, or I just need to get on the floor and play with my kids and not have dishes or laundry or work to be done. Mm-hmm. So that's my hope for the new year. Hold me to it, okay? Yeah. I'll hold you also to keeping your family alive. <laughs> Very important. Um, well, we're going to talk about Catholic schools again today and teaching. And this is a great topic. This is a great topic, very relevant to our lives. And uh, we have Nicholas Brandt with us today, who is who works at Bishop Dunn Catholic School here in Dallas. One of our, Go Falcons! One of our excellent institutions. And uh, we're happy to bring him in to chat with us. How are you, Nicholas? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you. Same to you. Have you thought of a, a New Year's resolution for yourself? Gosh, you know, the first time I actually started thinking about it was as I was hearing Joe talk about it. So I'm going to go with no, no, although there are a couple things I want to do better. I want to get some more reading in. I want to exercise more regularly. Oh, so. man, that's that's always on my list. I feel like that's on everyone's list. That's why the YMCA always has sign up for $1 in January. And oh, yeah. That's packed for the first week of January, and then no one shows up <laughs> the second week of January. Story of my yep, life. Amen. Have you read anything good recently? I've been reading this really interesting introduction to the life of St. Joseph, actually. It's, it's cool. It's called Meet Your Spiritual Father. So that's what I've been reading right now. Hmm. So I guess that's, is that all theoretical? Like We don't have any actual documentation about the life of St. Joseph, do we? Yeah. I mean, as, as far as biblical documentation, there's very little said about him. But in, in terms of tradition and the early church fathers and then what's come out, you know, throughout the tradition of the church. We actually know quite a bit about him. And um, so that's been a really interesting thing to uncover in that reading. Ah, that sounds like a good gift for my husband, who is also a Joseph and the father of our family. I'm a fan. Exactly. Yeah, it's great. I, I do highly recommend it. It's Mark Miraval, who's the, uh, the writer of it. He kind of just condenses a bunch of little things about him and dispels rumors, but then like kind of, focuses on how Joseph can be more a part of your devotional life. It's really cool. Hmm. Good reading. Good reading list. Add that to your list, Joe. 
Joe Joe was reading a book for a long time and had aimed to finish it before the end of the year, and he was successful, just in the nick of time, successful. So he's mm-hmm. looking for new books to read. It's definitely one of those cases where I'll read it to go to help myself go to sleep, but then I spend my probably the first five minutes looking from where I was last, and then <laughs> uh, reading like a paragraph, and then I pass out. So, gosh, yeah, that sounds familiar to me. Yeah. <laughs> do you have and- Do you have a lot of time to read and? You know, you said your New Year's resolution is to read and, and relax and, and also uh, work out and exercise. Like, I feel like there's just less and less time the, the more and more I get older. Yeah, and I, and I wonder, where's that time going? And I realize that one of the chief places it's going is that aimless wandering on the cell phone. Oh, or, yeah. You know, and I think, I think that's a lot of people are relating to that. They say that they're so busy and they don't have any time, but when you really reflect on it, like, wow, you know, I probably spent 40 minutes on my phone today or an hour and a half on my phone today, or, you know, how many episodes of this show did I watch? That's the kind of stuff that that's what you have to trim out, I think, in order to find that time. And it does, it's, it's forgotten time. You completely, you look up from this vast wasteland, this, you know, black hole of time where you've just been scrolling, 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 and you think, gosh, what happened in the last hour? What just happened? (laughs) Yeah, but exactly. I, it's so weird because it, it is good. It's good to get that mental rest, um, which oftentimes like Netflix can provide. Like we're not meant to be going, going, going at all points in time. But I think there are just more productive ways to rest, if that makes sense. Right. Well, I mean, it's kind of that double edged sword, too, because one way that I find that I am more likely to read is if I have a book on my phone on my Kindle app so that if I'm stuck somewhere in a waiting room or I find I have five minutes, but my book's across the house, I can just pick up my phone and read for just a few minutes. But then there's always that, well, I'll just click over and just check my Instagram for just a minute and then <laughs> boom, black hole. <laughs> I know. That's where they get you. Yep. Yeah. Rough. So tell us about what is going on in your teaching life sure well so this is my fourth year at bishop dunn and it's my sixth year as a teacher altogether um and at bishop dunn i am privileged to be the director of two different programs so i'm the director of campus ministry and i'm also the director of the theater program and juggling those two is a beautiful thing it's also a challenging thing when big events coincide um, in those two worlds. But um, I run all the retreats and I'm the director of the spiritual life of the school, which is just a wonderful responsibility, a great challenge. Uh, And that, you know, boils down to one-on-one relationships with students, but then everything as big as running the masses and the prayer services and making sure that um, myself and Father Russ Mower, our chaplain, our in sync with one another and we're able to provide the sacraments for the students and also just provide um, a shoulder to cry on or an ear to listen to and all that kind of good stuff too. So it's wonderful. It's a great community and it's uh, a great job. I'm so privileged to be able to, to have that job. Bishop Dunn's kind of a unique school in that it has more than just high school, right? Y'all start at, what grade do you start at? We start in sixth grade and we go to 12th grade. And we're very unique. We're the only school in the Diocese of Dallas that has that particular model of a 6 through 12. And we also have the unique distinction of having an early childhood care center for the children of the teachers. I love that. 
it's a really cool thing. So you'll see the teachers at the beginning of the school day dropping their kids off and the little, you know, one, two and three year olds are toddling on over to school. And it just, it provides a, a beautiful link toward family in the school. That's just always there. You see them at the end of the school day and a bunch of the students know the kids. So they'll say hi to them and try to get them to wave or give them <laughs> hugs. And it's just a wonderful thing. I feel like it's such a pro-life model too, because that can be really hard for teachers who have families and especially young children. And it's, it eases one of the main burdens for teachers and families to be able to take care of their kids right there on campus and you know, go visit their children during the day or nursing moms can go over and see their kiddos. And it's just such a cool model. I love that. Yeah. It's just one of the ways that shows that Bishop done the administration, they get it. You know, a lot of them, either have been parents of small children or are currently parents of small children. And it's one of those things that despite the challenges of having to run it and the costs and the expenses, somehow it every year it did just renewed by those adorable kids. And they, they had their little Christmas play a couple of weeks ago. And I got to see that and just seeing about 20 kids come up there and, you know, sing and pretend that they're sheep and, you know, it's just adorable. Absolutely adorable. So for theater and for campus ministry, you're doing your responsibilities are for all grades, all ages, six through twelve. That's right. Wow. That's right. And I, but I get some help with campus ministry. I have two assistant campus ministers um, who help me out. Uh, one whose kind of area of expertise is Hispanic ministry because she's from Puerto Rico, and then another one who is a female who's able to cater more specifically to female students. And so it's, mm -hmm. it's a good, we have a good team. It's, it's a team model. I have to direct it and take on the primary responsibilities, but when things get too busy or if I'm out of town or unable to, then we have a really great team that can step in and, and make things go. So it just seems like a, it's just a wide range of, of where people are on their, on their faith journeys from sixth grade all the way to 12th grade and being able to kind of, you know, meet their needs at all those different stages is, Oh, yeah. It's a big job. It's a huge job. And I'm grateful for the fact that I'm reminded daily that <laughs> I don't have all the tools for that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's humbling. It's a realization that I only have so many hours in my day and uh, I'm not always going to, you know, connect perfectly with each student. And some students, like you said, some sixth graders are at a first grade faith level and <laughs> some 12th graders are at a faith level possibly beyond my own and a devotional life that's stronger than mine. So, you know, it's, um, it's, it's humbling on all accounts. It really is. Similarly with the theater program, do you, ha do you have two different <clears throat> programs, kind of one for middle school and one for high school, or are they all included? We started off just with the high school and that was a nine through 12 program. And that's just because I didn't want to take on too much too quickly. We slowly phased in middle school we we allowed middle school active drama club members to audition for some of our plays and it was so successful I, I wasn't sure it would work because you know developmentally such different stages you would think oh gosh you know how would the seniors interact with the sixth and seventh graders and would that would they get frustrated with each other would there be tension there but what i've noticed actually is it's given the older high school students a much clearer designation as leaders um, it's not just their own little social club anymore. It's much more of a, that we're a group, we're a collaborative group and 
we've gotten to, you know, the older kids are saying, you know, we've gotten to perform in five, six, seven shows and you're in your first one. So we're going to help show you the ropes. And I've just been so pleased with the little family that's been created by adding in the middle school. So, yeah, they, we, we just kind of integrated all and wind up doing productions to showcase the uh, diversity of ages that we have here. This year we're doing uh, the Music Man Junior. Oh, I, I think love is that. Be awesome. That's so cool. You'll have to let me know when that is. I'd love to come see it. Of course. Now, did you also direct the sheep in the Christmas play? <laughs> <laughs> no, my directorial talents were not needed for that. Uh, <laughs> they had much more capable hands for I was going to say, I think that might be above your pay grade. Anybody who can herd three-year-olds. I don't know. <laughs> above or – I don't. I think it's – I think that, that those people need to be paid more. No, that's what I'm that's saying. A, that They deserve more money yeah, than they're paying you. Way, yeah, way yeah. above your pay grade. <laughs> no, I agree. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, our son was in his first Christmas pageant this year. Not even a Christmas pageant, just a little concert. And it was kind of this this i don't know what would you call it joe like this it's like we've crossed over like this is our life now is <laughs> we we go to these shows where all the parents have their phones out and waving at their kids and acknowledge me acknowledge me and it's <laughs> it's so adorable it's so cute and uh it's like all right like let's do this again every year and i know as much work as the teachers put into it and they did a phenomenal job but still my kid could have just stood up there and just grinned the whole time and never <laughs> sung a note and we still would have been like that was the best thing i ever <laughs> saw <laughs> yeah it's funny how that works right it's just it's a i think it's a beautiful affirmation of how god sees us too yeah and we could just be standing up there and smiling at him and <laughs> that's all he needs you know he yeah. doesn't he doesn't need us to necessarily do anything we're other not, than just be them and love them. Right. We're not loved because of what we do. We're loved because of who we are. Amen. A child of God. Yeah. Um, so tell us about your time in ACE, about your placement and what you taught and all that good stuff. I was placed in Atlanta, Georgia, and I was placed in a school called St. Peter Claver. It is a small uh, school in Decatur, which is right outside of Atlanta, and I was given the task of teaching middle school language arts, All right. which, as I came to realize what that actually means, that means spelling, vocabulary, writing, grammar, and literature kind of all <laughs> rolled into one. So, you know, it, it was it was a juggling act, to say the least, of trying to cover all those things, and um, that school is just, it's a beautiful school in so many ways. Um, it's a school that's predominantly an African-American population. And it's a school that had been struggling a lot with uh, administrative consistency and leadership. And and when I came in, I experienced the fruits or lack thereof from that lack of consistency, mm -hmm. that inconsistency. And um, you had these great kids um, who since discipline hadn't been as consistent would wind up taking advantage of it. And we're used to taking advantage of um, getting what they wanted and when they wanted it. And um, it's a school that had its heart in the right place all the way through. I love, like we used to spend each morning, we would um, every the entire school would join in the gym and line up grade by grade and recite the pledge and pray together. And there would be an announcement from the principal. And it just had this beautiful family atmosphere it was very clear that the students knew that they were loved and cared for. Um, but the problem was that 
again, that inconsistency, they thrived on that inconsistency of taking advantage of it. And Mm -hmm. I wound up finding myself like just trying to hold down the fort and um, be like, no kids, we need to spend time on the lesson, Mm -hmm. like back to the lesson, back to the lesson. (laughs) Right. Um, What do you think was the main thing that you took away that you gained as a teacher in your experience at Peter Claver? Yeah. Um, gosh, I think the biggest, biggest tool that I gained in my teaching skills, but probably just in my general leadership or presentational skills is I I like to call it my Zen mode. (laughs) Uh, uh, it's the, it's the mode where you get there and you already know how the kids like what they're feeling and where they're at. And so you just pretend basically that you're Yoda, you know, you just pretend that you're super well yoda without all the kind of quirkiness you just (laughs) suit me more like obi-wan i think you know you just kind of come in you're like hello children come on in have a seat and you just you just kind of adopt this mode and then eventually they kind of just settle into place and yeah it's it's kind of funny but they really do take their lead off of you and i noticed that when i would kind of put on that affect um it would help them focus in and get them ready. And I still use it all the time when I'm with my middle schoolers. It doesn't work as well with high schoolers. They kind of just look at you funny, Um, (laughs) but the middle schoolers love it and it works well. And I think that tool speaks to that greater piece of wisdom that I had gained, which was you can't control everything. You can kind of just control how you react to things. You know, it's that, that kind of stoicism that parents and teachers and anybody who deals with children sort of learn by doing it. There's just only so much you can actually control. And the minute you try to put more on your shoulders, you just wind up getting frustrated or disappointed. So yeah, that stoicism is, is a beautiful piece of wisdom. I love that. It's kind of one of those like secrets of classroom management that's really hard to explicitly teach. But when you watch an excellent teacher doing it, and you're like, whoa, that was amazingly effective. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom was a teacher, and I remember kind of learning that trick from her and always keeping that up my sleeve. Um, because, yeah, you're right. As much as if you continue to escalate, you're trying to control the class with your volume and your kind of frustration it you just kind of lose control and there's nowhere to go but louder and louder but if you kind of keep it really chill and bring your voice down especially at your right the smaller children lean in and want to know what is it she's saying with that quiet voice and then they kind of all start to quiet themselves and before you know it everybody's listening and you haven't had to raise your voice at all yeah and um, you haven't had to expend as much energy either and right you, you come your blood out, pressure is low yeah it's three thirty p.m and you're like you know what i actually feel like making dinner tonight Let's go, <laughs> you know, i'm gonna go to kroger and pick up something and actually make <laughs> make a meal um yeah you wonder so, where this energy came from Nicholas and I shared. I was also, yeah. also going to add um, with what you shared. It's, there's something about you know your first few years of teaching that's very humbling, especially when you've you know had academic successes and you know graduating from Notre Dame and whatnot. And there's, I felt a need you know for instant gratification for the need to to have those results right away. Right, like okay, here mm-hmm. I am in front of the classroom and. You know, your your feedback is how are the students paying attention? How are they doing on your assessments and everything? And yeah, this need for control 
and need for immediate, um, you know, showing me, showing me that, you know, I'm being affected. I'm doing something. And it's, it's just so humbling to realize that like, yeah, you're not in control. It's, it's where the students are and where, um, where you're able to, to kind of lead them, invite them in. And, um, yeah, it's really, it's definitely, those first few years are definitely very humbling. Mm -hmm. I was just going to bring up that, uh, Nicholas and I shared an ACE house. We, we didn't live there at the same time, but we both lived in Atlanta. And for me, I lived, I taught um, in Marietta in a northern suburb. And what you're saying about leaving school and feeling like making dinner, man, I can't remember. So many nights I would leave school in a great mood, having had a good day at school, and you get in that Atlanta traffic. I don't know how bad your commute <laughs> was, Nicholas, but man, that was what would put me over the edge that I would get home. And having had grand plans when I left school of making dinner and taking a walk and, you know, whatever. And I get home and all I wanted to do is sleep off my anger at the traffic in Atlanta. <laughs> so oh, yeah. You had, it, you had it way worse, though, because you were going from the northwest region, like suburbs, into the, the main city. And mm -hmm. for me, it wasn't I wasn't, it wasn't nearly so bad. So you had to go down, I think it was at 75. And that yep. just packed. Yeah, so. it was pretty miserable. Good times at the Sunset Lodge, though. It was a great ace house. <laughs> <laughs> Many cabin. memories. A beautiful cabin in the woods in the heart yep. of Atlanta. <laughs> Amen. Lots of wildlife. <laughs> Lots of trees. Yeah, little, little rodents. Little rodent <laughs> little, And large rodents. Large rodents, right. too. Oh, good times. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, well... Today, we want to spend some time with the gospel, just a little bit of prayer time, and uh, Joe's going to lead us in this reflection. So, Joe? This is a reading from the gospel according to Matthew. On that day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by, down by the sea. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood along the shore. And he spoke to them at length in parables, saying, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, where it had little soil. It sprang up at once, because the soil was not deep. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and it withered for lack of roots. Some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. But some seed fell on rich soil, and produced fruit, a hundred or sixty or thirtyfold. Whoever has ears ought to hear the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Where do I see myself in this story? What seeds am I sowing? What seeds are being sown into my heart? What kind of soil is in my heart? What can I do to make my heart rich soil? A reading from the Gospel according to Matthew. On that day, Jesus went out of the house and sat down by the sea. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood along the shore. And he spoke to them at length in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, 
and birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, where it had a little soil. It sprang up at once because the soil was not deep, and when the sun rose it was scorched, and it withered for lack of roots. Some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. But some seed fell on rich soil, and produced fruit, a hundred or sixty or thirtyfold. Whoever has ears ought to hear. Nicholas, what was it about this gospel that um, stood out to you that you wanted to talk about today? Sure. The The first thing that intrigued me by choosing this gospel to reflect was the fact that my connection to it is we created a retreat around it for seventh graders. And this seventh grade retreat is called Bloom Where You Are Planted. And it's a really beautiful uh, parable for helping younger students, middle age, middle school students, not middle age, uh, <laughs> middle school students analyze where they have been planted themselves. They analyze their own family life and, you know, for good or for bad. And they kind of use that analysis of their past, their past situation to help them figure out their discernment, where they're going now. And I think for me, rereading this and meditating on the scripture in preparation for this podcast, I think the thing that was most convicting to me was verse 9 of chapter 13, when Jesus says, whoever has ears ought to hear. Hmm. And it's an interesting way that Matthew chooses to end that little section of chapter 13. It's convicting because it reminds us that we are called to not merely hear the word of God, but to actively engage it, to wrestle with it, to to hear, understand, and then apply the word of God into our lives. It's not just enough to simply study. We have to engage and make something happen. And that's part of, in a sense, creating the richness of the soil. It can be, it can be through our response to the word to the word of God. Um, that's one of the many things that, that jumped out at me early on, but, um, yeah, I've got so many thoughts. It's just such a rich, so to speak, such a rich, <laughs> such a rich passage, um, in such a short amount of words that are used. Yeah, you're right. It is very short. It's only nine verses, but you could look at it in so many different ways. Like you could think about, okay, as teachers and we're kind of going into this with the the long view prayer that we picked um the long, the long view, view to like <laughs> our little song anytime you um, say the long view you have to say the theme song <laughs> yeah it's nice thinking about planting seeds that we may not ever see grow mm-hmm. and you know as a teacher all the different kinds of soil that we are planting seeds in be they knowledge seeds or spiritual seeds or just you know relationship seeds and all the different students that we encounter all different co-workers that we encounter so thinking of ourselves as the sower but then also thinking of ourselves as the soil and the ones who are uh receptive and trying to consistently or constantly improve the soil that we are trying to plant our seeds in or receive seeds in um I like to dabble in gardening. I'm I'm very beginner, but I did take a class because I had killed so many plants in my quote unquote garden 
that my husband suggested, maybe you should just learn a little bit more before you invest any more money in plants. (laughs) So uh, I learned all about composting and amending your soil to make it richer. And one of the little tidbits that I learned is that, believe it or not, worm poop is the secret to a healthy garden. Mm. So when I was thinking about what can you do to increase the soil in your garden, literally, if you ask a gardener, they're going to tell you poop, like like putting <laughs> putting putting worm poop and also putting rotten compost like stuff from your gar from from your kitchen like your eggshells and your banana peels and your you know stinky fruit fly vegetables put them all in your in your garden and that's what's going to make the soil better so kind of thinking about you know when your life is really crummy and you're suffering and you're in the crucible perhaps that's the that's actually what's making your soil more rich in those <laughs> times of suffering. It's the worm like poop that. of your spiritual life. You should have oh, put that man. in your reflection. Where, where's the, who is the worm poop in your life? <laughs> who yeah. is pooping in your heart? <laughs> That's beautiful. I like that. You're going to need to trademark that and then market that in some sort of Etsy shop or something. Perfect. That's really good, though. Because in the end, it's the even those crummy moments, they still make your soil stronger. They make you more receptive to mm-hmm. the gift of whatever you're receiving next, the seeds that, that are coming to us from the giver, um, from the sower, which is, huh, that's good. Yeah. yeah. Nice. <laughs> I was also thinking about the part at the beginning when it's talking about Jesus sitting down by the sea and just kind of visualizing that where it just says... <clears throat> On that day, Jesus went out of the house and sat down by the sea. And like, right right now we're visiting Mobile Bay, so we're we're right here by the water. When I go out and sit down by the water to look at it, I'm not hoping to have to like feed anyone spiritually. I'm just hoping to just sit there and rest and enjoy the water. Poor Jesus. The large crowds are gathering and they gathered so many that he had to go out onto a boat to get away from them. But he doesn't run away. The way that I do when my small children come gather around me and interrupt me when I'm sitting by the water. Instead, he decides to teach them, which is a good Mm -hmm. lesson for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, another way of looking at it, though, could be that Jesus was trying to get in a position where everyone could see him. You know, Mm -hmm. he could have he could have been putting himself in a position, maybe not to be heard as well. Maybe he had to. I mean, I can only imagine he must have had some good pipes because being heard over a sea. And also yeah. on top of that, being pretty far away from him in the boat, that's he's got to be yelling most of this parable, I think. Maybe that's why it's so short. <laughs> yeah. Amen. Well, I think another, I mean, the original um, allegory, if you will, of the parable is that we are the seed, you know, and he is the one and he's the one who's kind of scattering us. Um, and that's that was kind of my first uh, attempt at decoding what exactly was going on here. And I noticed it, when I was younger and I'd read this, I'd be like, oh, I'm clearly on the rich soil. Like, I'm good to go. This is not a problem. When I was hearing this in the gospel at mass and just kind of dismissing it and saying, you know, yeah, this is this is good, Jesus. I'm glad you mentioned this, but um, I'm in pretty good shape right now. And it wasn't until, you know, these past 10 years of my life or so where I've started to encounter you know, more adult hardships and difficulties and struggles when I start to see, oh man, I see myself in the rocky soil at times. I've seen myself in the thorny soil and and it, it's a great self-evaluative tool to kind of help you, 
give to a current state of mind and say, well, where am I right now? Where, what is my soil? And have, am I the one who's creating this soil or is this something environmental in my life? Is this something that I can get out of or is it something I'm meant to deal with so that I'm creating worm, worm poop as it were, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> something else that's, that struck me was at the very end when it says that some seed fell on rich soil and produced fruit a hundred or 60 or 30 fold. And I was thinking about those numbers and there's a vast difference. If I'm a gardener and my neighbor is producing fruit a hundred fold, but I'm only producing through fruit 30 fold. And I'm going to be going, well, what's the problem? I mean, both have rich soil. How come I've only got 30 fold, but she's got a hundred fold. But even here in the gospel, that's the positive reaction. And so I think that we fall into that self-comparison, especially in this you know social media driven world where we're looking at what we're doing and thinking, well, man, I'm falling short. And how can I be more like that person over there who's doing a hundredfold rather than yeah. being grateful and really just doing our best work and being happy and content with 30 fold? Yeah, I think the teacher equivalent of that is, oh, you know, Miss So-and-so got 30 gifts and 20 personalized cards given to her and I got five and two personalized cards. And does that mean that she's making more of a difference? Does that mean that she's reaching them and, you know, forming relationships that are positive and lasting and I'm just kind of over here twiddling my thumbs, that kind of thing. Like, um, but you're right. I mean, God holds us to only one standard and that's the standard of our vocation. It's his call to us and our response to that call. And he's given us specific talents to give back to him. And others may have different talents. And it's just so hard to resist the temptation to look around you and see, oh, that person looks like they're producing a lot more fruit than I am um, and letting that get to you. Right. And holding in balance, um, being supportive of our friends who are doing something that on the surface may seem way more productive than what we're doing and both supporting them and affirming them, but not getting worried on our own about what we're doing and letting that affect us. Um, Cause you know, so many teachers work so closely together and, and you really rely on each other for that network of support. And you could see where it would really um, drive a wedge in between coworkers and friends. If you really start to start to keep score and keep track and let that get to you. Yeah. I want to, what speaks to me um, as a teacher is the sower, you know, and they're just throwing the seeds everywhere. You would think like, why don't you, just, why aren't you just focusing on the rich soil? Like, why are you just like, you know, throwing all the seed everywhere, rocky ground and on the paths, etc. And that makes me think of as a teacher, <clears throat> I don't know, you know, each day our students are different. They're, they have different situations. Their soil is different each day. And you kind of never know um, kind of where they're at and what they're receiving. And especially the part about bearing fruit, like the students that I've luckily been, you know, able to see the fruits of these labors years on. It's like, oh, I had no idea that that's what was speaking to you. I didn't know that that, you know, that was going to really plant and, and grow within you. You know, so f for me as a teacher and my biases and, you know, I have favorites and whatnot. And you kind of just if you only focus on the favorites, you don't realize that. You know, you have to give that seed to everybody and hopefully, you know, it produces fruit somewhere. But um, it's really hard to kind of predict just from outward appearance, especially with adolescence of, of who's actually receiving this and who's just like, you know, struggling with something else. And 
like this is not at all you know your your language arts class your math class your whatever is is not really going to be coming to me or bearing fruit in me today at least yeah i was thinking about too um in our oscar romero prayer where it says that you know we will may not ever see these fruits because we're we're not the master gardener that god is the master gardener and i i do have these really strong wishes that i would be able to re-encounter the students that i taught in atlanta um i know i'll see the ones many of them that I taught in Dallas because I live there. But I think about those kids that I taught in my first two years of teaching. And now they're my oldest class is freshman in college. And I always think like, gosh, I wonder if any of them went to Notre Dame because of me, or I wonder if any of them uh, are stronger, you know, really strong in their faith life because of seeds that I planted in the fourth grade, or I don't know, you name it, whatever it was. I do remember those little fourth graders. I have a specific way of putting on a scarf. It's kind of unique. And all of these little fourth grade girls started wearing their scarves in this one particular way. So you do see those like immediate <laughs> fruits, but I really do long to know what they're up to and, and what, what their lives are like now. And I, I wonder if I'll ever be given those graces to see those, those fruits come to fruition, or if that's just something that I'll have to wait till heaven to maybe get to know about. But, um, it's hard to be patient in that. And and you want that for your own like affirmation of, wow, I made a difference, you know, but you really do just have to have to give it to God and say, okay, I planted the seeds. I did, I did my task of being the sower and now it's, now it's on you. Have you had kids come back around at this point? Like you said, you've been teaching for six years. Mm-hmm. Like, have you had kids that have circled back to you now? Yeah. I, I think like you said, I don't get to see the ones in Atlanta very often. Um, I got to see them. I got the joy of getting to see them a couple years ago when I was back in town for a wedding and we all met up at the mall and just hung (laughs) out and spent time with each other. And it was a great reaffirmation of that relationship. Mm -hmm. Basically, you know, even though we're not together and we're in really none of those kids that I formed those close bonds with are even at the same schools as each other, but Mm -hmm. simply being with each other and enjoying that day and catching up with them was just, it was a great, uh, I, you know, one of my former ACE housemates calls it a God wink. And it was mm-hmm. a great little God wink of, you know, you did well, you did, you did my will imperfect as you were, you still did my will and it did yield fruit. And it was a beautiful, just a beautiful thing. And it's always great at a high school, you know, a lot of kids will come back from college. You see them, you talk about how their lives are going and, where they're headed. And you can kind of see, uh, sometimes if you squint hard enough, you can kind of see your influence in that. Um, which is, again, it's a beautiful little affirmation. It's just those little, little bits of candy that God will give you (laughs) to make some of the harsher medicine of life go down. And it's just a beautiful thing. That, that candy is addictive though. Cause like you get that and you, that just hooks you for another year. It's like, yeah, sign me up. Let's do it again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's exactly right. And it always happens sometime around like January, February, March, you know, right, right when it's hardest. Thinking, yeah. 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 You're thinking, I don't know, man, this teaching is kind of hard. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Nicholas. Well, we're going to put you a little bit on the hot seat here. We were hoping to play two truths and a lie. I'll okay. give you a little second to maybe think about what you want to say, but we want to be able to pick out your lie. Mm. So, what can you give us? Okay, I'll see what I can do. Um, and this is, it's a little easier because you don't have to see me 
uh, in person since we're talking over the phone here. Right. So I'll just try to mask my tone as best as I can. Okay. Okay. So the first truth slash lie, first statement. First statement. Okay. First statement is that I've gotten to serve mass for a cardinal. Serve mass for a cardinal. Okay. Okay. The second one is that I was on a TV show and won money. On you won money on a TV show. Okay. Yes. The third one was that I've gotten to meet Pope Francis and shake his hand. Ooh, meet Pope Francis and shake his hand. Okay, so you served Master Cardinal or mm-hmm. and or you were on a TV show and won money and or you met Pope Francis and shook his hand. Okay, I'm going to go with the lie is Pope Francis. Okay. And Joe, what about you? Well, Joe has stepped away to take care of one of our children. (laughs) Joe's being a father. He's he's Uh, fathering. He's fathering. Okay. You are correct. Uh, Correct. You have not met Pope Francis. I I met him from a distance. Uh, You know, I got to see him when he did the Angelus, but he didn't probably see me. It was a big crowd at the time. But yes, (laughs) I I was on America's Funniest Home Videos when I was two years old. No way. Yeah, and I sneezed on my newborn baby brother. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah, and that won us a thousand bucks, and my parents used that money to buy the kitchen table we still have today. Are you serious? That's an amazing <laughs> story. Yeah, it's great. So, you know, you're talking to a TV star, no big deal. Do you still sneeze on your brother on the regular? <laughs> well, you know, when he's not looking, I'll try to. <laughs> I'm just trying it. to. Make a little cash for the family. <laughs> yeah, it's worked one time. It could probably work again. Yeah, exactly. Do you have the video? My parents have a VHS recorded um, of it. Yeah, I've what? seen it only a couple of times, but yep. Did they record it from TV or like when you win, they actually send you a recording of the episode? She, yeah, she recorded it from TV. Like when it was played on the air, she recorded that clip. Yeah. Now, did you, did your family go? So it won money. Did you go to the studio? Yeah, it was weird. I think no, we didn't. They didn't go to the studio. They weren't even invited. It was one of those like anniversary shows, I think, and it was like the fifth anniversary of America's Funniest okay. Videos. And I think that since ours was a finalist in some general sense, that's why they won money. But okay. it wasn't one final three yeah when you're like there sitting in the audience waiting to win and they put the spotlight on you and all that good stuff and bob saget comes over and talks to your family exactly oh man so this is one of my kryptonites actually i wish joe were here to to tell the story with me but uh i really love america's funny song videos and i'm a, a fairly stoic person except when i'm watching america's funny song videos and i i cannot keep it together and one of our early dates we were at oak and bucket in south bend and it was on on the tv like across the way and i'm not usually distracted by that kind of thing but joe kept looking over his shoulder like what are you looking at and i was just stifling so much laughter i couldn't focus on the conversation that we were having because i it's my kryptonite is america's funniest home video so (laughs) are you a sucker for like people falling people yeah usually it's the rapid fire ones when it's just like a bunch of people falling down right in a row. Oh, yeah. oh you yeah, know, like slippery like or classical music. 
yes. company. Yeah. Yes, those are the ones that get me. When they do the silly voiceovers, like, nah, well, I, don't, I don't really care about that. But like <laughs> the unexpected, you know, hit to the groin or like whatever it is, those just, they really crack me up. Okay, so your other, your other truth, though, you served mass for which cardinal? It was Cardinal Avery Dulles. And I was, I was like nine or 10 years old. And he came to the Red Mass, which is an annual mass for all the lawyers. Right, in right. So, so it was that because your dad is part of the Thomas More Society or went to the Red Mass that's, or something like that's that? That's right. Yeah. He, because I was the son of a member of the Thomas More Society, I was invited on in to serve the Mass. It was pretty fun. Well, I beat you at two truths and a lie. I found your lie. But you had some excellent truths as well. Very interesting. Um, yeah, thanks. I'm pretty good at, at sussing out lies. I can smell them. She's really good. <laughs> I should have known. Unfair advantage. Jeez. Yeah, well. All right, sir. Well, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. What do you want to tell the people? What do you want to tell teachers? Give us one little one little word of encouragement to teachers. Sure. I think um, especially at this midway point of the year where you're gearing up for a new semester, People, teachers tend to put a lot on their shoulders. Oh my gosh, I'm behind in this class. I, ugh, we, we need to work on this classroom management thing and this, that, or the other. And we forget that if we give God the space and the time, he can work wonders. He really can. So my encouragement to teachers is take your kids to the chapel. Take your kids to the sanctuary. Let them spend time in silent prayer. Give them time to meditate on scriptures. I don't care what class you're teaching. I don't care if it's math or PE or religion, whatever it is. Take time for meditative prayer. Meditative prayer is the antidote to all this crazy busyness that's going on. And I, I can't say I've ever regretted um, taking my class into the chapel and spending 5, 10, 15 minutes in meditative prayer. It's... It makes my day better, it makes the kids' day better, and it makes us more productive in the classroom when we come back. So give God some time to work. That's that's what I would say. Amen. That's an awesome idea. I love that. Mm-hmm. Well, we wish you the very best in your second semester this year. I want to come see your play, so please keep us posted on The Music Man. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, best of luck getting started in, in the new year. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on, and I hope you guys have a great rest of your vacation. Thanks, Nicholas. All right, we'll talk to you soon. All right, God bless. You too. Bye-bye. That wraps up our episode for today. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Longview Podcast. If you enjoyed our conversation, be sure to subscribe on iTunes to be up to date on our latest episodes. Also, share our podcast with a friend, another teacher, an ace friend, your mom, anyone that you think would enjoy our conversation. Your reviews and comments on iTunes help us to show up in the search bar, so we always appreciate that. If you'd like to connect with us on social media, you can find us on Facebook at Dallas Ace Advocates, and we're also on Twitter at Dallas Advocates. We'll see you here next time on the Longview Podcast.